I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is time for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that, you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Good morning, everyone. Uh, good morning, everyone. Oh, okay, just checking. I didn't think the music would put you to sleep, but it probably did. Good to have you. Uh, my throat is a bit uh, weak, so we'll see how we go. Um, some lurgy from somewhere jumped on me. Um, but yeah, we are continuing on our little series called the, the Greatest News as we, as we go. Go. So you've been great, greatest newsing people? Normally when you have great news, you keep it to yourself and you lock it away and you make sure that you don't tell anybody if you've got great news. If you've got the greatest news, then you might doubly lock it down to protect it from people who may actually steal it, isn't it? So we've been looking at this incredible idea that the good news, the greatest news is that there is a God. And there's a God that is so great that if we, for one second, could truly see him, we would simply fall down and die. Not because of anything else, but because of his glory. Um, I was actually doing some research, but it wasn't very helpful. I was trying to get you guys to to lighten up. Uh, So I read about frowning and smiling. As I was reading, it got more and more confusing. Uh, Apparently... Some people say if you frown, it uses more muscles to frown than to smile. And so if you want to have spare energy, smile more. You've got more energy. Uh, Other people say, no, it's the other way around. Uh, So eventually I came to the fact that if a baby smiles, uh, they use 11 muscles to frown and uh, 12 muscles to smile. The weird thing is that the God that we are making, that we worship is so great that even if you see a baby smile, and you truly understand the mechanism involved in that happening, you would fall down and worship. But as we keep on saying, is that the sad thing about humanity is that we do not have the capacity to see reality. We live in a make-believe world of our own imaginations. And we limit the glory of God immensely. And so we don't know what is the greatest news. We think the greatest news is, you know, that Paul Ruiz won against great college, you know, yesterday, or something like that, you know. It's terrible for an ex-grayer to have to admit that. I mean, I have to admit I didn't watch the whole game. I couldn't stand it. Um, Greatest news is that there's a God that is so awesome and so glorious that there is nothing 
ever close to him in significance. And the more you see him, the more you get to know him, the more you want to worship him and enjoy him. So that's the great news. The great news is that you are not the greatest. The greatest is that there's a God that is the greatest. And that he's much greater than you. It means he's much more powerful than you. It means everything that you fear in life is a no issue for him at all. So you don't have to fear anything else. If you know the greatest God there is, you don't need to fear anything else in life. Nothing. Not rejection. Not death. Not hardship. Nothing. That's how great he is. So, I mean, this is what we're on about. We're on about the greatest news there is. The one who's made everything, upholds everything, redeems everything. That, as uh, Philip has reminded us, is personally, intimately involved in every one of us. He's made us so that we can recognize him. Uh, that's the great news. The greatest good news is that that God, despite our stupidity and despite our hardness of heart and despite our inability to see straight, has said, I will come and make myself like one of you. And I will come forgive you for being so stupid and being so self-centered and living only for yourself. I'll actually take on your shape, your form, your humanity, and I'll come and I'll actually forgive you. And I'm inviting you, I'm gracing you, with the opportunity to come face to face with me. That's the greatest good news, isn't it? So the greatest news there is a God, the greatest good news is that God is so serious about us is that he's come to us. He's actually entered our world, became like one of us, so that he may actually make himself known to us. So that's the greatest good news that we looked at. And so we are looking at the greatest good news as we go, because we're still here, isn't it? I mean, maybe you're not sure if you're still here, uh, but... We are still here. We're still going around. And so we started two weeks ago with the one thing that every single person can do that is a Christian is what? Absolutely. So when you see other human beings, what do you see? You remember? What did Jesus see when he saw other human beings? Image bearers of God that doesn't know their left hand from their right hand. That despite the magnificence of how God has made them, actually his verdict over their life is, Father, forgive them because they've got no idea what they're doing. Human beings have a tendency to not know what they are doing. That caused Jesus, remember, to be gutted. To see something so magnificent as a human being, not understanding and recognizing the one who's made him and the one who loves him and the one who's inviting him into a relationship. To see another human being operate in that reality, uh, I guess the right response is to be gutted, isn't it? And Jesus says that's why it's so important in the light of this greatest good news that is out there. And yet humans have this incredible ability to actually suppress the truth in unrighteousness, Jesus says, pray. Ask that God himself will do something to open up people's eyes so that they will realize how magnificent they have been made and how magnificent the God is who made them and that he's actually inviting them into a relationship where he can be face-to-face and he pays for it all. 
I mean, that's the fascinating thing about grace, isn't it? Grace is an invitation to a relationship that actually says, I will pay for the cost of that relationship. So come. So that's where we've been. I mean, we've been about this really weird thing. Everything in this universe, everything you touch, everything you smell, everything you see, everything you experience, has been made by God. That's good news, isn't it? It belongs to someone. And he wants you to maybe see it, glorify him, enjoy it, and tell as many people as possible so that they will wake up. And that's why we pray. So we spend lots of time praying. Lord, please help human beings come to their senses because you've made them to know you. And that's where we've kind of left it. And then we had uh, Renee last week. All right? So you with me? Good news. No? Greatest good news. As we go. So you don't have to spend a lot of time in prayer. You can just literally pray for every single person that you see. Switch on the TV. Pray. Go to the shops. Pray. Every human being is made in the image of God. And if Jesus is correct, they don't know what they're doing. They're trying to cut out a life, but it's got no relation to God. They actually are looking at their feet when they're supposed to look at the stars. And that's sad. Sad to see human beings actually act like that. So that's why we're on. We're on about actually going to tell people about the greatest good news there ever has been and ever will be. And we still have time. Remember, every day is a day of salvation. Every single day, someone may hear, understand the greatness and the glory of God and his unbelievable kindness towards them. So pray for them. And we're going to get to things like what we can do other than prayer. But prayer is always the first and the good thing to do. Prayer gives power to the message. Prayer gives opportunity for messengers to actually go out. And that's what we're praying about. All right. So we want to move on. We don't want to move away. We want to move along. All right. We don't want to stop praying. We want to keep on praying. Jesus was a man who prayed a lot. So we want to come to this idea of partners for life. And that's why Philippians is such a fantastic little letter. So Paul's relationship to the Philippian church helps us to understand something else that is vital for gospel ministry. So Paul started the Philippian church in the second missionary journey around about eighty fifty. We all know how that happened. He was thrown into jail and he had some being beaten up and he explained the gospel and quite a number of people must have become Christians. Philippi was a, a Roman colony which really mean that Philippi was a very important city. So all the generals that uh, was done with their service and you didn't want around in Rome to upset the apple cart, you shipped off to Philippi. So they took all the heavies and they chucked them in Philippi and said, go live there and you have Roman rule in Philippi. You've got Roman understanding. Everything is Roman. So although it's a Greek city, Rome, it's a little Rome, literally called little Rome. So, fantastic city. Must have been fairly affluent city as well, uh, to a large degree, because it was on the, one of the great highways, the, the trade routes. Um, it was about a two-week travel from Philippi to, uh, to Rome in those days. Um, so, that's more or less how long it took. So, he started this little church, and this little church has been 
partners with him as he tells us. So go there to chapter five, uh, chapter one, verse five. He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ. And then if you go down to verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share, note that word, in God's grace with me. So the word share and the word partnership is the same Greek word. It means you are in fellowship with me. Fellowship really means you've got a deep sharing. You share something very deep and something very fundamental, and you share it at a very deep level. And so he tells them, you are deep in my heart, to the same extent as Christ's affection is for you. I mean, that's quite, that's quite deep, isn't it? So they are partners in life. And Paul says, this life is going to carry on until Jesus Christ comes, and then it will just keep on moving. On the day, until the day of Christ. So they partners in life because of the grace of the gospel. They've become Christians. Paul has preached to them and they've turned around and he's saying, it is so exciting because you guys are sharers, deep sharers of God's grace. So God's grace makes us become partners. And the moment you hear the word partner, you also think in terms of Business partners. What's the difference between a client and a partner in a business? A client wants to walk in and he wants everything to be to what he expects them to be like, whatever the shop may be, isn't it? A partner shares the burden, shares the concern, shares the cost, making sure everything is in such a way that others can actually benefit. Massive difference, isn't it? When you're a sharer in the grace of God, you become a partner of God's kingdom. That's what Paul is driving towards. Fascinating, isn't it? You are saying, I have now vested interest in this endeavor. That's really what he's picking up on. I want this thing to work. I have skin in the game, as we say it. And you can see that later, what Paul has in mind. If you go to Philippians chapter 4, so just flip over there, because there he spells it out for us in a little bit more detail. So go to chapter 14, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verse 14, and we'll just see it there. So Paul has been imprisoned. Uh, this is about 12 years later. This is about 62 um, he's been finding it pretty difficult. In those days, the, the prison system was of such a nature that the state didn't really look after you. Uh, your friends and family had to bring you food and clothing and stuff like while you are in jail. Otherwise, you would just rot and die. So they didn't really care about you that much. Things have changed slightly since then. Uh, so this church in Philippi then sent this guy called Epaphroditus with some food and clothing and whatever. We're not told exactly what. Uh, to support Paul. But listen to what Paul is saying to them. Verse 14. He says, Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, so there's the gospel acquaintance again, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. 
For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God the Father be glory forever and ever. So here he tells you that their acquaintance with him was not just that they shared grace, they shared money. <laughs> That's how you often know. You often know that somebody's got grace in there because they prepared to share whatever they have. And so these guys were so excited about the grace of God that the greatest great news has reached them that they said, we are going to support you to do missionary work. And Paul thanks them for it. You're partners in the gospel. You're not only partners in life, you're partners for life. You are investing so that others may have life. You are the silent, yet absolutely critical partners in this business. Paul says, I'm the mouth, you are the backbone. You enable me to do the work that God has called me to do. No one knows about the Philippians. Let me read a little bit about it. We all know about Paul. Paul says, you guys were the ones who have made it possible for me to keep on doing my ministry for more than 12 years. And I want to honor you and I want to thank you. And I praise you because what you are doing is a fragrant offering to God. It's not about me. It's about God. It's your understanding of the greatest great news. You know what is really great is the way you spend your money. On whatever you tend to spend your money, that is what you believe is great, isn't it? I mean, how else do you measure it? That's the tendency. Whatever I believe is the greatest thing is what I'll spend a great money on. And he's saying to them, I can see you guys have known about this. And you've been supporting me and the ministry more than anybody else. And that is magnificent. And I want to honor you and I want to thank you. So that's partners in life become partners for life. They are intertwined. Very difficult to separate those things from one another. And so that is another way in our going how we are involved in the mission. To bring people to know the greatness of God is that one of the ways in which we do it is through money. Isn't it? I mean, we all know that. And Paul just highlighted in this letter. He's saying this is a little church that has been supporting me for 12 years. And I want to thank you for doing that. That is being partners in the gospel for life. So when you read the rest of the scriptures, which we're not going to do, there are basically three main areas that the Bible talks about Christians should be involved financially, isn't it? They should look after other Christians who are in need, and there's an entire two chapters in the Bible about that. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it's all about the background. Paul is speaking about it again and again and again in many of his letters. Um, one of the, the signs that the pillar apostles, you remember them? The three big knobs, James, uh, Peter, and John. They were known as the pillar apostles. 
the three big knobs, when they were questioning Paul about his gospel, and Paul explained his gospel to them, the one clear expression that they wanted to know about Paul, if his gospel was for real, was what? Anybody can remember what it was? Except all the theological truths that we all know about. What was the one expression of his gospel that they, when he mentioned that, they said, you are for real, you're an apostle. His concern for the poor. Fascinating. You're a gospel preacher, Paul. Are you also one concern for the poor? And Paul says, absolutely, always been like that. And he spends most of his life while he's preaching to make sure that he also looks after the need of the poor, the poor Christians. And that's why he's got this massive collection that he's trying to get for the Christians in Jerusalem when there was a famine. So that's one of the signs. One of the signs that grace has hit you is that you will say, wow, I don't want any other brother or sister to suffer more than what is absolutely necessary. That's one of the signs. The other sign is obviously that you want gospel ministry to go forward. And so you will be putting money towards those who've got the mouths to say it because you've got the ability to produce the money. So there's financial parts we would call. So you have crisis maintenance. Then you've got maintenance maintenance. All right? Just the ordinary congregation need. And the scriptures says a lot about that. Uh, just one verse for you, 1 Corinthians 9, 13 and 14. Do you not know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at, uh, as an, uh, at the uh, altar share what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who uh, live by the, uh, preach by the gospel must also live by the gospel. And there's a whole bunch of passages that speaks about that. So there's a, the way in which we make sure that the gospel goes out. We care for people's actual needs. We care for those who preach. And then the scriptures talks about what we would call the sending maintenance, to send out missionaries. And there's a stack of chapters in the Bible and sections in the Bible about the necessity to propempo them. Send them out in a way worthy of the Lord. Listen to the language here. Yeah. 3 John chapter, uh, chapter 1, it says only one chapter in the book. So 3 John, verses 5 to 8. Dear friends, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have, uh, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> uh, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought to receive such people so that we might share together in the work of the truth. Fascinating, isn't it? You see, so the good news goes out not only through us, but also through people who preach it, isn't it? I mean, that's the whole idea. So here you've got these three basic layers that the scriptures hold out. When grace enters your life, your life changes. Your, your value system changes entirely. When the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ hits you, then everything changes. And one of the ways it shows is in your finances. 
You are concerned for other people. You're concerned for the gospel, and you're concerned to send people into the gospel uh, out. That's what the scriptures keeps on holding out for us. And so Paul spends quite a lot of time saying, yeah, send them on their way well. Do it in a way that honors God. That's quite an interesting, uh, how do you measure that? It's still an interesting thing, isn't it? So can you see one of the ways in which we are partners, partakers of grace, is exactly in the way in which we think about our finances. Because everything belongs to the Lord in any case, isn't it? He gives it to us to enjoy. And here are three ways in which the scripture says that you can be a partner in the gospel uh, as you are maybe a silent partner, but a critical partner. So let me just show you from uh, from Philippians how Paul refers to Epaphroditus and therefore to the church in Philippi. Go to chapter 2. And verse 25. Look how he honors this man. The silent man that I'm sure you may have been tempted to call one of your children Paul. I doubt it if you called one of your children Epaphroditus. <laughs> Epaphroditus is known for a couple of things in the scriptures. Here we are told of two of them in Colossians. We are told of the other thing that we've already spoken about. Epaphroditus was a man of prayer. He was a wrestler in prayer for people. But here we are told, verse 25, but I think it is necessary to send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Epaphroditus probably never preached a sermon. Paul says the fact that he came to serve the needs that I have, he's a fellow soldier, he's a fellow brother, and he's a fellow worker in the gospel. He honors him with all the titles that you can imagine. Paul doesn't say, oh, he's one of those little small guys that is kind of doing, he's a brother. He's a fellow worker. And he's a fellow soldier. The word fellow soldier is a fascinating background to that word. We get our word for strategy from that world. He's a fellow strategist in the gospel. When you think money and you think gospel, are you strategizing how you may use it? How you may combine with others to strategize about how the gospel may go out? Fascinating language, isn't it? The word fellow soldier literally means a fellow strategist. A fellow man who's in the strategies, in the, in the kind of levels that is strategizing to bring about a good thing. That's what a fellow soldier was all about. He says that he, this guy who's never spoken a word most likely, that's what he's doing. He's an equal partner in the business. He may be silent, but he's absolutely critical and vital. And then look at what he says in verse 29. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Fascinating, isn't it? Do you think you're a fellow soldier even if you've never preached the sermon? Fellow worker in the gospel? 
may have never preached a sermon or led a Bible study or anything like that. Beautiful language, isn't it? High honor. He's saying, I want you to know, I want you to honor him. I want you to honor people like him. He's honoring the entire Philippine congregation by the chapter 4. Amazing that you guys are paying for it. This is great. So I just want to keep going. That's really what Paul is saying. Grace has got such a grip on one that you reprioritize what you're aiming for. What's the outcome you want? You want to invest in that which gives you the good, the best outcome, isn't it? And Jesus' economy is quite upside down, isn't it? He says, everything you have here, you're going to leave here. But you can send it ahead. And it can accumulate on that side, on your behalf. And that's what Paul is trying to say. First, how can I be a partner in the greatest good news as I go? Well, I can think about how I use my finances. That's, what I can, that's one of the ways I can do it. We've looked at prayer. We're going to look at a whole bunch of other things as well. This one, this week, how I use my finances. How I compute what is important for me and what am I prepared to invest in and how can I help. So just flip back to chapter 1, verse 9. So I just want to show you just one last thing that is loosely connected to this whole idea. As Paul is writing to this fantastic young church and he's trying to encourage them, he says in verse 9, he says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So I want you to have greater understanding and greater ability to look beneath the surface. For what purpose? So that you may be able to discern what is best. As you grow in the grace of God, God's Spirit will help you to love more. And when you love more, you'll be able to discern what is the really important things in life. Isn't it? That's what he's concerned for the Philippian church. That you will keep on growing in discerning what is the most important thing in life. And if you read the letters, it's all about the gospel going out. If people are lost without the Lord Jesus Christ, then the most important thing for them is to find the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? And that's what he's saying. If you've got that love, you've got that understanding, that's where you're going to go. That's where you're going to invest. You're going to invest your energy, your heart. You're going to look at people and you're going to say, these people don't know Jesus Christ. Or maybe they don't. I don't know them. But let me pray for them. The other thing you're going to do is you say, wow, I have abilities that I can actually strategize my life around, making sure that I get people who can tell others the gospel and encourage them to do that as well. And see how this works? In one sense, it's quite straightforward, isn't it? But such good news that God actually is saying, I want you to invest in what is the best. And that's what Paul is trying to encourage the Philippian Christians to do as they grow, because they are concerned for him, and he says, don't worry about me. Pray that I will keep on proclaiming the gospel as I should. Because that is what is the most important thing that needs to happen in life. And so, as one draws us up, helpful thing for you to do gospel sums, isn't it? 
How do I do gospel sums? And you work out your budget. Where does the gospel investment lie on the budget order? And what size does it have in the budget? It's a way of helping you to figure out where you're spending your money. So what is the most important thing for you? Very helpful, isn't it? Hmm. Hamburger? Gospel. Bottle of wine? Gospel. I'm just talking about luxuries. How do you weigh it? How do you weigh what is really important? What is the best? How do I make that my, how do I make that part of my as I go? Gotta think through it, isn't it? How do I weigh all of this? How do I make that decision in the end of the day? What is the thing that weighs the heaviest? The greatest good news? How heavy does that weigh? Interesting question, isn't it? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you who were rich became poor for us. We thank you that you challenge us at every level of our being. Thank you that today is a day when we can accept the challenge. Thank you that we can think this through. And tomorrow it will come again, and the next day again, and the next day again. And there will be many opportunities for us to think this through. We thank you that you actually tell us, because we all know that in one sense. That's why we're here, I guess. We, we know that you are the greatest good news. We acknowledge that. We want to praise you for that. We've been singing about your glory this whole morning. And it's been magnificent to do that. And yet, Lord, you are incredibly practical. You're actually telling us to come down and to evaluate for ourselves on that very simple thing of our budgets. What are the things that is the most important for us? And what would we like to invest the most? So, Lord, I pray that you'll give each one of us wisdom. We know that some people it's hard because they've got other issues and complications, and we know all of that, Lord. We pray that you'll protect us from comparing ourselves to one another. That we will not look at one another and say, I think you ought to be giving more, or what are you doing? Lord, we pray that you'll enable us to walk with you. As your word tells us, that each one of us has to carry our own load, and yet we are there to help one another carry one's burdens. So we thank you that you are telling us so often that you love a free, cheerful giver. Someone who delights like you, to pay a price for the salvation of others. We thank you that you invite us into that every day. Actually, every day we make decisions that is in line with that or not. 
Thank you that it's not just a Sunday thing. Thank you that you want more of us. You want all of our heart in one sense. You want all of our decision making to reflect your glory and your goodness and your kindness. So thank you that you challenge us, Lord, in these matters. Thank you that you've given us today to think about it again. We thank you that you've convinced us of our need of you. We thank you that you have provided everything we need to know you. Thank you that you don't save us because we are generous. Father, you actually save us so that we will be generous. You're always upside down, Lord. You just never kind of quickly go in the direction we go. We even thank you for Sarah's testimony. You don't have to try and appease an angry God. We get to worship a loving God. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at this, we will not feel the wrong understanding and burden of this issue. Because we know it's so easy to happen. We pray that there will be a rejoicing and a freedom in understanding the magnitude of the greatness of the good news that is ours in Christ Jesus. And that increasingly we will grow into allowing it to affect the smallest decisions we make, even about our finances. So thank you for the challenge. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you that you want us to share more and more in your kingdom. Thank you that you invite us as fellow partners in your kingdom. Thank you that we can have skin in this kingdom in so many different ways. Thank you that this is one of the ways in which we can do it. And we pray that you will help us to do it with joy and with thankfulness. Help us to strategize in a way that will make the best use of what we have for the greatest glory that belongs to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.